welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We Black in the Garden. have arrived at the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talkin', hostess with the mostest of Black in the Garden. You're listening to Black in the Garden, and if this is your first time tuning in, you are welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you have been listening for a while, you know, you're back, and I don't take that for granted. So thank you for coming back, because you could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're here with me right now, and I do not take that for granted. So we have a very special 420 cannabis-like episode on today, and we're going to get into it. But first, we just need to uh, get into a few announcements. Uh, But before we even get into the announcements, I want to wish you well and wish you the best on any of your projects that you may be starting, your gardens that you may be starting, your landscape projects. Seeds are a huge deal right now. Hope that, I mean, I know we're not fully in past this frost stage and some of us are still experiencing the frustration of the remnants of winter and um, I, my heart goes out to you. I'm just letting you know I recognize that. I'm holding space for that. But I hope that your spring is going well and I know that you are excited to get it popping. And as soon as you can, you'll get it popping. You know, global warming is real, but sometimes it don't be warming up when you want it to warm up, I guess. So, boo. But happy Earth Month. It is Earth Month. You know, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, We need more than a month. We need many years. We needed years in the past. It's like nobody wanted to listen to the scientists. And, um... Y'all know how that goes. That, But that's a whole nother episode. And, um, you know, nonetheless, it is still Earth Month. And I hope that you are enjoying it and getting into all the celebrations and the festivities and, you know, being careful or whatever. I'm not going to go there. But just be careful to the best of your ability and um, enjoy the spring. Really just find the joy. Just extract the joy Hold on to it real tight. And speaking of joy, uh, get some joy. That's what you get to do on April 23rd, which is coming up. If you tune in before April 23rd, obviously, then uh, you have the opportunity to join me and uh, our soil cousin, who you may have heard on the show before, Alexander Hardy. We are going to have a coloring event where we're emphasizing the Black in the Garden coloring experience, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Well, no, we're talking about it now. The Black in the Garden (laughs) coloring experience is what we will be emphasizing, or rather coloring in uh, for those of us who have it. If you don't have it by now, you're not going to get it in time for for this event. But it is a virtual event, and it is specifically for the sake of connecting around mindfulness and creativity and community and all of those beautiful things that we ought to be doing more of. So yeah, we're going to be doing that on April 23rd in partnership with Get Some Joy. So I will put the link to that in the show notes 
for those of you who need it. And I want to remind you that Black in the Garden Season 5 is sponsored by Atlanta Botanical Garden. Did you know that? Well, now you know. Atlanta Botanical Garden obviously is in Atlanta. And if you are, if you haven't been yet, definitely go. You can find the, the Black in the Garden coloring experience in their gift shop right now. And I love that for you. Go ahead and get you one. You go ahead and get it in person. Currently, they have an origami exhibit that I cannot wait to check out. And um, it'll be going sometimes in the next few weeks. But hey, there's always something new and exciting that's happening in the garden. Coming up is one of our future guests, Mike Gibson, topiary artist in residence to the Pearl Fryer Garden. And that is also something else that we will be talking about on that very episode where we have a conversation with Mike Gibson. But yes, he is going to have a talk at Atlanta Botanical Garden in May. And the exact date, I will indicate that in the episode notes because, you know, I need to give you a reason to get into the episode notes, okay? So I want you to text me, though. Love the feedback. Questions, comments, very polite criticism. The number is 833-819-3926. The thing about podcasting is how do you get feedback? How do I hear back from you? I had to get very creative and figure out how we were going to go about that. So check the episode notes for the phone number, 833-819-3926. And, you know, just say, hey, just say what's up. Let me know something that you learned, something that excited you or something that resonated by sending me a message, all right? So I cannot wait to hear from you. And I just want you to show your support to the podcast. It's independently produced. And that means that your support truly does help us to find opportunities that are very significant, that will help us to scale, you know, and reach a much, much uh, wider uh, group of people. You know, we need to reach more and more people so that everybody can get in on the glory of Black in the Garden, the celebration of the past, present, and future of Black people with plants. So that's what is, we, you make that possible when you are showing your support, when you're sharing, when you're leaving five stars, when you're reviewing on Apple, you can also review on Spotify. It's very simple. All of that is indicated in the episode notes. Definitely be looking at those episode notes and making sure that you are supporting. All right. So, yeah, that's about as much as I need to share as far as the announcements go. And, you know, I wish you blossoms and blooms and prosperity and abundance. Truly from the heart, I do wish that for you. So we are getting ready to explore the theme of cannabis because it is 420 and that's what we do. And we have a very special guest that's going to help us to really unpack that and share some very specific information and instruction on how to make the most out of that plant. And I have to give this disclaimer. If you're not in a legal state, listen. Mind your business lawfully, 
Okay, mind your business lawfully. Don't be out here breaking no laws. If you're in a legal state, then good for you. All right, shout out to that. But I'm not out here encouraging anybody to do anything that is illegal. Have to say that, you know, because America, but we're going to get right into this here episode. I appreciate you all for listening and I'll catch you next week. Hey, Soil Cousins, it is Colaby talking here on this very special episode of Black in the Garden to talk to a Cannabis Cup winner, because I like to call this the 420 episode, because why not? I want y'all to uh, meet Jules. He is our guest here on Black in the Garden, the Vermicompost King, okay? (laughs) It's very important to make that distinction. Vermicompost King and soil researcher really knows his shit. He's really, really legit with the compost. I'm very excited, as you can tell. Jules, <laughs> welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Very Absolutely. Excited. Yes. I really love that you are, the way that you're doing all the things and how much they are so like complementary to each other. You know, mm. what came first? Hmm. What um, came first? So I started gardening in 2018 uh, when I was doing school gardening with Chicago Public School students, and I had no experience prior. So like completely brand new to it. Had gone with my mom a little bit, but like didn't. My mom got me to garden, but like I never enjoyed it as a kid. I was always like angry about it. Not angry, just like an angsty teenager, you know, just like I don't want to do it because my mom told me to. Um, but yeah, so I got into like organic vegetable production and slowly got into like soil. Um, and the year after I left that job working with gardeners, I got a job doing vermicomposting at scale. So we were taking like city blocks that were vacant. We were putting mm-hmm. down compost and then worms and just flipping that into healthy quality soil. And then once it was good to go, we would sell that at like a good price to local farmers in the area. So that they could then garden or farm on the area with like quality soil and making sure there's no heavy metals in the soil as well. Um, so that's what got me into composting was I met this dude, um, named Ed, just this awesome old hippie white dudes, old stoner who just had a shit ton of, uh, red wigglers and just loved composting. So that's how I got into it was just, was just, uh, vermicomposting, honestly, the compost came. Sounds sounds like someone I would like to meet. Sounds like someone I would love to have a joint with, you know what I'm saying? Did y'all smoke together? We definitely, we, I don't know what I can say on the show, but we, we definitely smoked together. Maybe sometimes on the job, uh, that, cause that's the way he was. He was just like, you know, he like got his shit done. Um, but unfortunately the city shut us down after a year. So the city like got us, us out and now, that's why I stopped working. There's like kicked us out, but yeah. So drama scandal. Oh shit. Um, <laughs> wait a second. We can cuss on here in case you were wondering, okay, don't hold it in. No, let yourself. I don't know Sorry. if the children were on here. I didn't want to like ruin stuff. Oh, no, nobody can hear you but me. It's all good. Well, me and all the soil cousins, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> from Chicago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So born and raised Chicago? No, 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 no. I'm a Chicago transplant. Yeah. I grew up in California. I'm a West Coast baby. What? Where at in California? So take us uh, back to little baby jewels. So I grew up in Santa Barbara and then San Diego. So also Cal. Right on the mm-hmm. beach in the mountains, 72 every day, perfect weather. Yeah, it was, I didn't know how good it was until I left. And I, when we left, we moved from SoCal to the suburbs of Chicago. And that yeah. was, oh my God, it was rough. It was, winter was rough. It was a year of cicadas that year too. And like, we didn't have that many bugs in California. So like cicadas blew my mind. It was a lot. 
It was a lot. What an adjustment. <laughs> One of my favorite things to ask my guests when we're discussing a transition to from one place to like a starkly different place is like what was that culture shock like what was that mm. you know that environmental shock like how did you receive it and then how did you adjust to it and without a doubt coming from southern california to chicago is just rude like <laughs> <laughs> so and then rude. there's all the cicadas yeah. that's crazy it was rough honestly i think so I moved a lot as a kid. So I was used to moving. So I was like mm -hmm. used to being the new kid. And I think I'm like good at adapting. Like I move a lot now because I think yeah. I liked it so much as a kid that I'd just be out and about. But yeah. it was definitely rough when I was a kid. Um, we even moved from like SoCal where it was mostly like black and Mexican to like the suburbs of Chicago where it was like all white conservative Christian folks. So like that Ooh. transition as well was like a big, like going to high school with those kids was rough. I was definitely a transition, but also gave me a love for Chicago. And like Chicago is one of my favorite cities of all time now. Um, wow. So like, yeah, I love Chicago. I always love Chicago. Um, I love that. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely like I would I left two years ago because mm -hmm. of winter. Like winter was just too much for me. Um, but if there's no winter, I would have stayed for sure. I love Chicago. That's beautiful. I really would love to unpack what that experience is what that experience was like for you, you know, coming mm. into Chicago, yeah. being one of the only black kids in the school and, yeah. you know, that adjustment and what that was like. But we're just going to emphasize all the things that I indicated at the top, being yeah. the soil researcher, being the vermicompost king, learning from Ed, as we know now, which <laughs> was, what a cool dude. I wish I could have met him. Is he still around? Um, I haven't reached out. I'm like friends with my LinkedIn and I have his number still, but I haven't heard from him in like a few years. So as far as I know, he quit the, he, he quit like composting entirely. Like the city really, really ruined his love for vermin composting. So I don't know what he's doing anymore, to be honest. At least you got connections to him. That really sucks how y'all yeah. were ran out of that, that space in Chicago. Did it have, mm -hmm. some, what was the main reason? What was the illicit thing that they were citing out there so the alderman we had issues with the alderman over and over uh just like he really didn't like that we were composting the city um and i think the main thing that ed told me was that that the alderman wanted to renovate some of these lots but he wanted to renovate them into like into like luxury apartments or into like a starbucks none of it was like actually like community stuff it was all just like how can i flip this lot and make money off of it mm. um and our thought was mm. like if you've looked at studies they talk about how greenings Greening public city spaces actually leads to less violent crime. It makes people more comfortable in their own neighborhoods. And so that was like intentionally why we went to these spaces to like, this is a vacant lot, nothing's happening here. You know, yeah. maybe just like, maybe people are hanging out, you know, but like we can at least beautify and make a nice green space for people to hang out in and just like feel comfortable and, you know, see some trees or see some flowers or some, or some fruits. So. All facts. Everything that was our thought process, but yeah. the alderman did not like it and didn't really like the direction we were going in. He actually got a few citizens to complain because we we wow. were we were friends with the people in the neighborhood. Like we would explain what was going on and they were all with it. Yeah. And so we know he definitely planted some people to complain. And then they Later. were able to fine us. And so we got fined, we got fined daily. And it was like one fine from one day was enough to sink the business. And so he was just like, Yeah, I, I gotta Ooh, yeah. I gotta quit. So Boo, yeah, there was a big there was a big campaign around it. If you look up Nature's Little Recyclers NLR mm -hmm. in Chicago, there was a big campaign to help him. Um, and it just like didn't like we couldn't get it going enough, unfortunately. Just one of the experiences in life that 
makes you, you know, it can make you look at people differently, but y'all had a good relationship with the people in the community. And that's crazy yeah. how he was trying to even turn them against you in that way. So uh, did yep. you feel discouraged after that experience or did you just kind of move on to the next experience? I definitely felt discouraged. I was also like at a point where I felt like I was at a point where I felt like I wanted to move on. Um, I'm also very much the type like where something holds my attention for like a year or two and then I'm like on to the next thing. Um, and so with vermicomposting, I was like, all right, what's the next piece of gardening that I want to go into? And in 2019, they had just legalized recreational cannabis for the next year. And so um, at the time I was like, I'd been growing by myself, like, you know, underground. And so I knew a friend that worked at a dispensary mm -hmm. and she was like, Hey, I want you to apply for this position uh, as a cultivator. I think you could do it very well. And I applied and she mm -hmm. got me the job. Um, and so, yeah, I, it was a nice transition to kind of like quit the vermicomposting job and move into doing cannabis cultivation. So I was a little bit hurt, but also like, I like transitioning and trying something new. And so it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. I appreciate your sense of adventure. It is it's definitely resonating. <laughs> I feel very similar with having a background as a trucker and, and, and having just been very intentional about uprooting myself in some situations where yeah. it's like, oh, what is the next adventure? Sometimes mm. the changes don't happen, you know, voluntarily. Sometimes it's very circumstantial yep. and you have to kind of like adapt definitely. as necessary. Mm -hmm. But it all, it, you know what they say, it all makes you stronger. It don't kill you, it make you stronger. <laughs> and, Truly, <yeah. laughs> and so I really love how you transition into cannabis cultivation. And I want to make sure mm. I just kind of give this disclaimer for the sake of this episode. I do not wish to emphasize the legality or not legality or whatever of cannabis. I just want to discuss like, you know, the, the, let's get into the weeds, you know, pun yeah. intended. Let's get into the weeds. That was a really <laughs> <good story. laughs> I like that. That was smooth. So you got to the cannabis cult that you were doing it yourself. Walk us through it. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I was growing underground. It was, at the time it was illegal. Um, <laughs> but okay. so the state, le the state legalized it. Um, the company I work for suck. I'm not gonna lie. Like I no love for them. They're awful people. They're garbage. I mean that just like, and I agree with you. I don't think this, I don't think legalization means anything to me. And I think the distinction between recreational and medical is very loose and doesn't really actually mean that much. Um, I think when medical, if you ask me, exactly. If we smoke them blunts together, like we might be doing it for fun, but like we're receiving that, like, you know, I'm like, I'm less stressed, you know, I can communicate mm -hmm. better. I mean, my appetite's back. Like I can, my insomnia is gone, all these things. Um, wow. wow. But yeah, it, that, that pushed me into more of like a recognized legal state sanctioned cannabis uh, space. And so I went from mm -hmm. growing like five plants in my house to growing at one point, there were three of us and we had 4,000 plants that we were in charge of. And so mm -hmm. I did all the training and all the maintenance for the plants that were in veg that were in veg. So I would walk into a room that would have like a thousand plants and I would just be on a stool and all day I would kind of just be cutting them up, taking cuts <laughs> off of them, cleaning right. them up. Take It was like being in a barbershop all day. I loved it. Yeah, it was just, it, I don't, and there's something about growing cannabis, like it's such like a, like beyond being just a stoner and enjoying it, there's such like Ooh. a deep horticultural, like botany understanding of, of cannabis, like yeah. between training, between developing seeds, between breeding, right. like there's just so many different varieties between them. And so mm -hmm. that's honestly how we won the Cannabis Cup is that we 
grew a bunch of different seed. And then as they grew, we watched them for their growth. We watched the flower, you know, we smelled the flower. It was just making like picking the right cut out of all these seeds was essential. And that's how, that's how we won the cannabis cup was that we knew like, which was the best seed that we grew and which one to continue growing for the next wow. generation. Um, so there's a lot of thought that goes into it. I don't think, I think yeah. people assume it's just like, oh, stoners just growing plants. It's fun. Like no. it's deeply, deeply horticultural. And I love that about it. It really is horticultural, botanical. Like this is yeah. a legit ass science, y'all. I need y'all to understand if you are not aware, like I don't see how it could be missed. Um, I, I can't say that I have experience with it. But based on what I've seen in movies, and I know sometimes it sounds kind of ignorant to be like, I got my information from <laughs> Pineapple Express, but perhaps I did. In my <laughs> but <laughs> in all the movies yes. that I've seen, movies or TV shows, we've all seen them, those of us who are interested, where they discuss like the growing process, it always came across to mm-hmm. me as mad complicated. Mm. Like, because they're like, we have to water it this much we have to make sure Mm. that the ph in this and that of the soil is this and that and i can't quote it because i don't know it like that it for me growing cannabis is like growing in order to consume and doing that well that's actually on my bucket list and it's on my bucket list because i feel like it's a very challenging thing Mm. and so what i want to do is i want to get into the cannabis cup what year was that that you wanted Oh, it's 2020. Oh, damn, mm-hmm. that wasn't that long ago. So we're going to come back to 2020. Yeah, but first, let, let's, can you just list the phases? Tell us the life cycle of weed and how it gets, why am I saying weed? Cannabis? Who cares? It's <laughs> I mean, you can use whatever term you are. I'm just, yeah, I switched to cannabis I mean. the industry because that's what everyone said. But sometimes cannabis makes yeah. you feel gross too. So like whatever word you want to use, you know. And are you um, familiar, I've heard about this, just right quick. Are you familiar with this concept of how, because I saw it on the documentary where they indicated how marijuana mm-hmm. was a term that was uh, brought into the narrative in order to connect it to uh, Mexicans. To Mexicans. Yep, totally. Yeah, so they started, it was the Nixon administration. I can't remember the name of the person that worked for him, but essentially they they tried to tie cannabis to Mexicans coming into the U.S. So there were a lot of Mexicans immigrating to the U.S. that would work and essentially like work the fields and then they'd emigrate back to Mexico after the season. And they would often bring cannabis with them from Mexico because that's where mm-hmm. a lot of cannabis was coming from at the time. And mm-hmm. so they tied it to Mexicans like like raping white women and just like whenever they would smoke cannabis, they would become like, like, you know, crazy and not able to control themselves. And so it was tied to Mexicans, to hippies, and then eventually to black folks. Um, But yeah, marijuana is technically like a, is kind of like a, just like a dirty term. And so that's why people shift to using cannabis or, or weed. I don't like pot. Pot sounds like something a cop would say. So I'll never say pot. Uh, Maybe I grew up, I I feel like I grew up, maybe if you're in the seventies and you're an old head, pot's cool but like for my generation i feel like pot sounds really suspect um but i usually say <laughs> cannabis or weed or loud or whatever you want to say it depends yeah. what we're around i guess and i don't mean to get like gross and graphic into like because i don't want to discuss sexual terms but i will say just for context mm. in comparison that how we discuss our genitals mm. can be, differ from what your upbringing is you get what i'm saying sure like totally, some people yep. call mm-hmm. it, some people will call the male genitalia 
D, right? I'm not going to say it, y'all. Sure. Some people call it D. Some people call it <laughs> the C word. You know, exactly. y'all know what I'm uh-huh. talking about. Yep. And so when it comes to the C word, because I'm not trying to get that graphic. I just, it's not necessary. It's not Pornhub. But but when it comes to um, cannabis, then depending on where you coming from generationally, you know, background or whatever, that can determine what term you use in discussion of it. So there's that. But yeah, no, the life cycle of marijuana. The life cycle. Walk us through the life cycle. So the life cycle. So most people that want to start growing and don't have any access to it, or they live in an illegal state start, like I started with, with bag seed, which is just seed that, you know, when you buy cannabis from your dealer, you're like, oh, there's a seed in here. What? Like, no way. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, the growth is first germination. So getting that seed to pop out a little, you know, pop out its first um, little leaves. It's the first yeah. step. So germination. Um, and that's similar to a lot of other seeds where you can just put it in, put it in some water and then put it in a paper towel and let that come up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, from there you have the seedling phase, which usually lasts about like two weeks. It's until you get your second set of leaves. So mm-hmm. like there's the cotyledons, which are the first set of leaves. And then there's the second set of true, uh, the first set of true leaves. Um, mm-hmm. and that's when they're out of the seedling phase. Um, normally after they're out of the seedling phase, you want to start actually like fertilizing them consistently. Um, because seeds will have enough fertilizer or enough nutrients within them to be able to Mm -hmm. sustain plants for a certain amount of time. Um, But yeah, so you go from germination to seedling to then vegetative growth. Mm -hmm. And with cannabis, they need a light cycle specifically of 18 hours on, six hours off during the vegetative growth. Just because in nature, cannabis is understanding that like, during the longer summer seasons, it's gonna be able Mm -hmm. to grow and veg out. And then as it switches to fall and the hours get shorter, and the, mm-hmm. there's less sunlight, they understand like, oh, we're going to die soon if we don't, if, you know, if we're not consistent with this. And so they mm-hmm. start, they start putting out flowers, um, which oh. is, which is the way that, you know, which is what we smoke. Um, mm-hmm. So the vegetative growth is, yeah, you need it on a specific light cycle. You can run that as long as you want. And then you flip to flower, which involves flipping the lights from 12 hours on, 12 hours off. Um, so it's a much shorter light cycle for them. And after about a week of flipping the lights, you'll see them start to shoot up. They shoot up probably double their height when they switch from veg to flower. Mm. Um, so they really shoot up. You have to start training them. You have to do all this work. Um, mm. but then you're in flower. And flowers when you get those big buds that just smell like, yeah. you know, just the, the buds that you're used to seeing. Um, yeah, and that's on high times Instagram. Exactly. Yeah, that's where you get that. So that's, yeah, that's flowering. Um, flowering usually lasts from like eight to 12 weeks, depending on, it's also strain dependent too. So depending on what strain you're growing, if it's indica, it's a sativa, that's going to determine how long you want to grow it for. So like, these are all things that you need to know. Um, and if you're a professional and you're doing it right, you should be using a jeweler's loop, which is like a little magnifying glass. And Mm. you should be looking at the trichomes, which are these little, like, they're kind of like little diamonds Mm. on the, on the flower. You need to look for a certain color. And once they turn a certain color, you know, it's ready to harvest. Um, so there's definitely like an art behind it. You don't need to do that, but that's the best way to know like the peak harvest time after you harvest, then it's just, you dry it for 10 days, you know, 10 to 14 days. Mm. Um, and then after the, after the dry, you need to cure it. So curing usually takes about two weeks and curing Mm. all that is, is putting your dried bud into a Mason jar and and keeping that closed. And then you kind of burping it like twice a day. So you're just opening it up, letting all the CO2 out and then closing Mm. it up again. And that's, wow. that's where you're going to really get the potent smell and taste of the weed. If you don't dry it and cure it properly, you can ruin your whole harvest. Like you can grow the best Whoa. weed 
And then if you dried them properly, it's, it's shit now. Or if you cured them properly, it's going to smell bad. It's going to taste bad. You might wow. lose some trichomes or some THC. So like the dry and the cure are, are like, are monumental and huge. And they don't need, they need to like not be overlooked. Cause that's how you lose a lot of good weed. Unfortunately. That is a tragedy. All of that <laughs> loss. It is. Yeah, no, it is. Cause it's all that time. And then it's just like, oh, this weed isn't that good anymore. I mean, you can still use it. You could use it for like making topicals or salves mm. or, you know, coconut oil, but it's not as good to smoke anymore. Mm. Shame, shame. Once again, I cannot, you know, <laughs> enough about how much has gone to waste as a result of someone just messing up uh, part of the process. And that kind of makes me think back to these movies that I've seen where they're indicating, look, you got to get this right at this point. You got to check on it. You got to do this and that or whatever, yeah. or mm-hmm. all of this is going to go to waste. And we cannot totally. have that because we're yeah. missing out on money for that reason. But, you know, that's me and all of my stoner <laughs> movie binging <laughs> from yesterday. <laughs> Don't watch them like I used to, but I can see why you won the Cannabis Cup. And, and just the way that you are mm. able to so easily articulate what the process is like and discuss it in such um, eloquent and like instructional kind of language. Uh, it sounds like you could teach a class on it. Have you taught before? I actually was like in the process of signing up classes when I, and then I left Chicago. <laughs> so I was in the process of like teaching classes and then I moved and Atlanta, Georgia is not a legal state. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've thought about it here, but it's just a lot like it's a lot different in a, in a, a legal state. Um, so yeah, Georgia. it's kind of it's complicated. Yeah, we're yeah, we're it, weighing we're weighing the back down here. It's complicated, and and for the sake of you know you being a black man, out of all things, don't <laughs> please by all means do not say anything to incriminate yourself. <laughs> so we're gonna keep exactly. Going. Yeah, no, I'm not. I don't even I don't even grow anymore. So that those days are behind me. That's right. Y'all heard him say it very loud and clear. He does not grow anymore. So there's, that's uh-huh. an important distinction to make. Take us back to 2020. When in the Cannabis Cup? What, did you get like an actual big ass trophy? Like what was the experience like? You're going to be so disappointed in this. Uh, so, the, so the three of us <laughs> that started the company, the three of, they brought three of us in to start to start like uh, growing the cannabis for them. Mm-hmm. And we went from like a, we went from a 250 foot square foot facility to a 4,000 square foot facility. So like we expanded mm-hmm. rapidly, huge. And the mm-hmm. way these cannabis companies work is they usually hire people that are passionate and know the plant. And then once mm-hmm. we have SOPs going, once we bring in good product, once we have good seeds in and we kind of have it all up to date, they then bring in cheaper labor to undercut us. So they, yeah. they brought in someone else to manage and pushed out my manager um, and then they just kept bringing in new workers and they eventually mm. forced me and my coworker out, me and my best friend. So I quit the month before we won the cannabis cup. Um, oh. but the way it works with the cannabis cup is that like, it takes six months to grow this weed. And then it takes, you know, a month to dry and cure it and then to mm. trim it as well. So the only product available was the product that we grew. So like, we know it was our weed that they had, that they had used. Yeah. Um, it was also like the strain that we selected as well. So we literally did all the work, everything. And then a month before, all of us essentially got put, like, I didn't get, I got pushed out more or less. It was just a choice at some point where I was like, this isn't serving me anymore. And they're just exploiting us. So I left. Um, 
But yeah, we never got to experience any of that. And literally, I didn't hear about it for the next six months. And then my mm. old manager texted me and was like, hey, they won a cannabis cup in July. And that was our product. That was our strain that we grew out that we put all that time into. Um, mm. So no, I've, I've never even seen the medal. I never got any type of prize. Mm. I never got nothing from it. It's literally just something I claim because that was our yes. work. Um, but they, they have the metal hanging in the dispensary, but I'll never go back to the dispensary just because they're a bunch of scammers and stuff. So text me the address. I'll go get it for you. <laughs> I, I told my friends, if I ever go back to Chicago, we're pulling up the dispensary and we're grabbing that because it's on their wall. It's like a second place winner's medal. And I'm right. like, I want it so badly, but it's, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. It just speak going back to stoner movies again. That that doesn't that give you like the 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 plot line for a stoner movie? We're gonna go back in there. We're gonna take, <laughs> like really it really stuff. does. I was gonna say yeah, let's go smoke weed, and then we're like we'll smoke weed and like go to the wrong address or some shit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I want to see that movie. I want to see yes. that movie definitely. Seth Rogen, if you're listening, make that happen. <laughs> so, wow, that is. Thank you for your honesty, though, because you could have told that story a totally different way. But, you know, shout out to transparency. And no matter what, that's that's your medal. Like I said, exactly. I'm dead send me the address. I'll go get it. I'll, you know. <laughs> here's another thing that could happen in this movie that we're that we're claiming is that I go in. Right. I fast. Uh-huh. I get them distracted. Okay. All you got to do is get over there, just snatch it and we're out. Just, we're out, in and out. That's right, that's right. They, that's I don't right. know if you've been in dispensaries before, but the ones in Chicago, you have to like buzz in, buzz out. There's lots of security. It's very, oh. dispensaries in Chicago are very like policed. Yes. Um, they're not f- friendly places to black folks. So I I, I never went to a dispensary unless mm-hmm. it was to pick up the weed that I had grown because I, I got it for free. Um, mm-hmm. But like I didn't frequent dispensaries because they were not good places for people of color and they were expensive. Expensive That's as hell. really whack. It's they doubled the street it? prices of cannabis at this dispensary. Like it was double the price of the street price, and it was like medicinal. So it was just like it was just clearly about making money, and it just like made me feel sick oh, after a while. Gosh. It's just it's because I want this to be on a higher note. Like I don't want this to be. I just maybe it's just the mood that I'm in at this moment of having this conversation with you. But I just don't feel like getting into that. Oh, yeah. they grow it and they come in and they take over and then, <laughs> you know, they commodify it and, you know, it's colonization all over again and we don't yep. get to enjoy the fruits of our labor or we're all disproportionately, Black people are disproportionately jailed and all of that. We've yep. actually had that conversation on Black in the Garden before on a previous sure. episode in conversation about cannabis. So that's why I'm just like, I don't need to repeat that. <laughs> There's yep. so many ways that we can have conversations about it. And I appreciate having the conversation with you, Jules, and you being a Cannabis Cup winner and understanding the process in great detail and being able to articulate that for us. So mm. let's get more into the compost of it all. Burma compost to be yes. specific. This ain't no game to you. So, <laughs> and I know of course you're a soil researcher. So <laughs> is vermicompost used in cannabis cultivation? Yes, big time. How does it add value? De- definitely. So I would say, yeah, it definitely makes it easier. So like in terms of, you were talking about like pH and having everything dialed in, when you mm-hmm. go towards, at least in my experience, when you move towards doing like organic cannabis cultivation, a lot mm-hmm. of those like nitpicky things, you're like, it has to be water this often or like this pH or this or that becomes a lot more looser um, mm-hmm. because the worms and the microbes will handle a lot of that work for you. So vermicompost actually balances pH 
like red wigglers will balance your pH for you. So if mm. you put them into an environment where the pH is low or pH is high, they will mm. chew through all your like all your substrate, all your amendment and, and put that make it neutral essentially. Um, yeah. So they're doing a lot of work, but they, they help with soil structure. Um, I used to put red wigglers in my pots that was actually growing cannabis. And so mm. they would they would just help uh, make more room for the roots. They would help mm. turn compost into plant available nutrients. Um, mm. They help by depositing more microbes into the soil. So they're doing all this work for you and like for nothing, like for literally no, for nothing. Like you're just throwing them some, some leaves down and they're like, yeah, this is great. Like, I love it. They're just um, living life. They're just living their life. Yeah, this is what they prefer to do. Like, they're just workers. Yeah, but they've, honestly, vermicompost has been a huge boom in organic cannabis production lately, just because mm. it's its ability to provide nutrients, its ability to help with soil structure, um, and then also just to provide, like, soil biology, which is, like, really the key to all this is soil biology. Mm-hmm. Soil biology. Are you formally trained in this in any way, or is this all from this this really robust experience that you have to have this information. Yeah. So people ask me that often. I've actually, I've never studied, never studied agriculture. I didn't go to school for agriculture. I don't have a degree in soil biology. That's why I don't say I'm a soil scientist. That's why I say I'm a soil researcher. Um, Cause I, I'm not degreed in it. I didn't study it. I've just learned it online through books, through YouTube, through podcasts yeah. like yours. Um, mm. Just like, that literally just like online is where I've learned all this. And then also from people like Ed, where, you know, he taught me how to work with worms properly, how to keep them in the right environment. And that's why I try and tell people, like, I don't, I didn't study this. I've just like mm. became obsessed with it and began to learn it voraciously. And so it is mm. possible to, to learn this stuff without having to go to school for it. Like you can find this stuff online from friends, yeah. from podcasts, like there's a, a wealth of information out there. Absolutely. YouTube University, you know, people yeah. are graduating from there every hour. All right. Exactly. And I know I got me one of them degrees, several of them. <laughs> you said and several of them. I appreciate you for also, you know, indicating that podcasts are such a valuable source of information, especially primary information. Oh, definitely. I've taken note of um, just a few of the uh, cannabis based podcasts, and there literally are several, not just one, but there are so many podcasts that even just specifically discuss so many specific elements of the growing process or the monetization process or Mm. whatever the case may be. And so really, if that was something that you uh, had a desire to do, you certainly could Soil Cousins get into that. I love, speaking of Soil Cousins, I just love that, you know, you know the soil like you know the soil. (laughs) And you're able to tie it all into everything that you've been doing with, um, you know, vermicomposting. And I love how that is, that makes it that much easier for the grower to mm-hmm. be able to not have to do all of this extra calculating and stuff because the worms are just naturally making that easier for exactly. Them. So uh, as far as composting goes, I understand that you do that with your mom, right? Yeah. So my mom is also like loves composting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Did she, is she, do y'all teach each other? Like how does that relationship work? Uh, I taught her that. Yeah. So once I got into gardening again, I feel like it's helped the relationship a lot. Not that I had a bad relationship with my mom, but like mm-hmm. we'll be texting pictures of each other's garden now. She'll send me pictures of her compost. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved to Atlanta, 
in July of 2020, I first moved in with my parents. And so the first mm-hmm. thing I did was help her set up like two leaf compost bins outside of her mm-hmm. house. And then after that, she like wanted to go even larger. And so mm-hmm. she also got a vermicompost bin for inside of her house. And so now all of her food scraps are being like diverted into compost at some point. Um, okay. And she has a big garden in her backyard. She has a community garden plot that she has. So she's using all this compost, like actually in the front yard, the backyard on her crops. So there's actually use mm-hmm. for it as well. Excellent. I love that you get to teach your mom. <laughs> you teach your mom. Yeah, wow. it's special. It's something special for sure. Wow. What I listen, because when was the last time you heard a black man say <laughs> I taught my mom how to compost? Only on my Okay. Yeah, Y'all exclusive. <laughs> so you taught your mom how to compost. And for for anybody who's not your mom who doesn't know and perhaps <laughs> curious about how to get into it what are your top tips for getting your own compost going before Mm. I let you go good question um the first thing I would say is like assess your space so you know are you living in an apartment with no outdoor space do you live in a house with some outdoor space to garden or to compost um Mm. because for some people I think vermicompost is more convenient Like you can have a vermicompost bin in your house um it doesn't Mm. smell like, you know, if you're in a small apartment, you can have it in your house. Whereas mm. if you have a large backyard space, you could rat, you could do outdoor composting if you'd like to. Mm. Um, but my first suggestion would be try out a small vermicompost bin. It doesn't have to be more than like, you know, two feet by three feet, just like a small little bin. Um, mm. And all I start in there is basic gardening inputs like coconut coir, which a lot of people are familiar with, or they, they might not know what they know it is, but if you go to Home Depot, there are these blocks that are like brownish yeah. um, and the it's used in soil it often. Exactly. Yeah. It's used yeah. in soil often. So I think a lot of people know what it is, but mm. you can buy one of those blocks. You can use newspaper scraps as well. And mm. then you can throw old garden soil in. So yeah, I start mm. with coconut coir, um, some, gar- some, what was it? Uh, newspaper scraps, mm-hmm. old garden soil, um, some food scraps, and then I throw worms in there as well and kind of just let them chew through it and get it started. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, kind of just go from there, honestly. I think there's a lot of tutorials online. You can go to my YouTube. I have a whole walkthrough on how to set up a worm compost bin. Um, I would definitely yeah. say go to my YouTube and check that out because it's it's hard to describe all of how to set up in a worm compost bin in like a few minutes. So I don't want to throw people off, but it's very doable very accessible, not expensive. And I think of like a range of people can do it, whether, you know, you're older or disabled folks. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people can use it and just like amend it to their own needs. Um, yeah. I've done consulting for older people, for kids with disabilities and wheelchairs that have to use it. Um, and anyone can use it. It's just depending on how you set it up properly. That's brilliant. I love that. And, and especially indicating that you've helped people with disabilities to be able to access it. And Mm. so you mentioned your YouTube as being the source to, you know, get that visual. So y'all can get y'all own YouTube (laughs) from Jules at that. Love that. And that's a perfect way for us to go ahead and wrap it up. Tell us more about how we can uh, find you on YouTube and all the other places because you're everywhere and (laughs) um, anything else that you want to let us know about and how we can support you. Cool. Um, on socials, on all my socials, I'm Smoke Your Greens, S-M-O-K-E-Y-R-G-R-E-E-N-S. Mm-hmm. Smoke, people often think it's Smoky Greens. It's not. It's trying to be tongue in cheek, like Smoke Your Greens. Um, yeah, exactly. Now I know. <laughs> like 99% of people all think it's Smoky Greens, which is like, I must have fucked up at some point. Uh, it doesn't, it's not obvious enough, but. Maybe they were high. 
Except maybe that's high. Um, maybe they but, are high. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe they were high. You're high. You're high. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can find you can find me at Smoky Greens on on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Um, YouTube is more my long like my long format content. TikTok sure. and Instagram are really kind of just to get people like an idea of what I'm into. And then if you want to hear more, it's like hit my YouTube. Now you got a 10 minute walk through on how to do this. Um, like but yeah, so it's, that's where you can find me. Uh, my work, I currently work for a soil company called Rosie Soil. Um, mm-hmm. And we're in a startup that produces organic potting soils with biochar in them. So mm-hmm. the idea is we're trying to sequester carbon um, rather than rather than extract it. So when peat, when mm-hmm. peat moss is extracted, um, it releases more CO2 yearly than the entire airline industry, which a lot of people don't know. And peat is the main is the main base for most potting soils, um, mm-hmm. even organic ones as well. And so our our product is actually has a net negative carbon footprint from production mm-hmm. all the way to like transporting it to your house, which is not the case for like the majority of soils in this world. Um, Wow. So like we're yeah we're very specific in in hoping that like we want to sequester carbon with this product and we also mm-hmm. want to provide like a high quality organic potting soil for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can find us at rosysoil.com. We're launching in June, so at the moment you can sign up for like email updates. Um, but in June the new packaging is coming out. It's just a simple a simple houseplant soil with biochar, compost, and mycorrhizal fungi. Um, but it's good for the planet and good for your plants. So I definitely say if you're interested in that type of thing, houseplants, check that out. Um, yeah, that's that's me really. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for breaking all that down. I yeah. am very, very much uh, proud of you for doing the work <laughs> that you do. I, I have to say it because people Thank hear you. that enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I appreciate you for uh, taking this time to unpack everything with us as much as you've been able to and jam-packed with information. So Mm. very, very high information uh, episode of Black in the Garden today, y'all. I appreciate you, uh, Jules, once again. I want to wish you love, light, and soil. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Much love. Of course.